Hello everybody and here we are on week three of our series Game Plan and GAME stands for God and Me Exercises. We're looking at commitments to these spiritual exercises that help us to diligently keep our souls because we need to take responsibility for ourselves and our spiritual walk and our spiritual life. We mustn't just forget the things that God has done in our lives, the things that God has spoken to us, the way that he's moved. We mustn't just neglect to look after our spiritual walk with God. We mustn't neglect our prayer and our devotion to him. We need to just keep pushing forward. And we need to just be, be careful that ultimately we don't drift away. And that is our responsibility to stay walking in those disciplines that help to keep our soul in a good place. Basically, we want to be Christians that grow in faith. We want to be Christians who deepen our spiritual understanding, our spiritual experience of God. And we want to be Christians who don't just survive. We want to be Christians that thrive. We're going to do this well. We're going to just enjoy this journey and do it really, really well. So this is what the series is about. It's about diligently looking after your soul. And we've taken the text from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4. And it says this. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. This is really important, isn't it? This is really important. And it's a very practical series that we're looking at this uh, month where we're just trying to give you some really helpful keys to keep your commitments. And Sam talked about last week how to increase and further your commitment to reading the Bible, so your commitment to Scripture. And he gave us three uh, commitments, which were one why don't we just try and deepen our engagement with the Bible? For example, use some kind of commentary that gets you further inside the Bible and the meaning that was, uh, what was meant by the, the writers who originally wrote it. Why don't you look to go a bit wider in your Bible reading, maybe using a plan? So a key was get a, a plan which gets you to look at the Old Testament, New Testament, and some of the Psalms and just look at a more a sort of panoramic view of the Bible, which will widen your scope and understanding of it. And then the third one, he said, why don't you deepen your commitment by studying for longer? And he said, just the key to that would be buying an alarm clock, just waking yourself up earlier in the morning so that uh, you've got more time to spend in the word of God. So that was really helpful, really helpful. Thank you, Sam. And this week, we are looking at our commitments to our community, the community of faith, the church, the Christian community. What a wonderful thing it is that God created. And we've had a really fun time because Philip and I have been going around our hubs in January, which is our small communities. These are our midweek communities. Some churches call them their home groups, but it's where we gather in smaller units, maybe between six and 12 people. Sometimes it's more. And um, we, we talk about the services and we grow and we get to know each other really intimately and share stories, share things about our lives that we want help with and prayer with, but it's a place where people can grow in their faith, but most importantly, grow in love, grow in love for each other and grow in love for Jesus. So these are our midweek hubs. Now we went around these hubs and you might not expect to see such a thriving community considering we haven't been meeting together for nearly a year. Now Metro is quite a fun place to be on a Sunday night, you know, with all the lights, the band, the music, the PA, the smoke machines, the projectors, you name it. Not forgetting the donuts and all the coffee. 
It's quite a fun place to be on a Sunday night. And you take all that away, and you'd think you'd, you'd literally disable the church. But no, when we went visiting these hubs, we saw a very vibrant community of people. We saw people we hadn't seen for a long time. And we saw lots of new faces. In fact, people have arrived in Metro and joined our community since the beginning of lockdown, and they've never seen a Sunday night service. But there they were, joining and, and participating and gathering in these hubs, growing in their understanding of God, their understanding of the Bible, and growing in love with the church. So it was amazing. But let us be real right now, okay? So sad face. No angry faces. Sad face. It has been hard. Let us just be real about this last few months has been really, really, I think it's one of the most challenging seasons for the church, and it's been really hard for us in Metro. Who has found it really difficult to do online church? Some of you have found it really, really hard, I know. Some of you just find it really, really difficult to go on Zoom and go onto those Zoom meetings um, for hub, for prayer meetings, because you just have this sense of massive inertia, and I just, I, I hate it, I really don't enjoy doing this. And, um, but you know, once you get into that Zoom meeting, you feel much better, don't you? I know there's some people out there who've just thought, I hate like doing church online, so I'm just going to opt out. I'm going to opt out until this is over, and we can all meet together in person. But the reality is that hubs are meeting together, and they've always been the centre of what we've done in Metro. They've always been like the heart of what we do. They are the powerhouse of our church, and we really value, we absolutely adore our hub leaders and our, our hub subs. They're just an incredible group of very committed people who do an extraordinary work. They need, you know, give them a clap in the chat, please. Just applaud our hub leaders who are amazing in Metro. But they are important, and we want everybody to be part of a hub in Metro because they are the centre of what we do. They are the lifeline. They're the heart of the church. And so it's interesting that there were some people who were still not part of hub, um, even when we weren't in the lockdown, even when we weren't in the pandemic. And I know we've done a poll tonight, and it looks like there's just 25%, which actually is less than it's ever been, but there's about 25% of you who still aren't part of a hub. And I'm going to talk to you later because I think it's vital that we all become part of a hub. There's about 25% of you that are in a hub, but you're not that regular in attendance. But 50% of our community are absolutely gold star attenders at Hub. You go to Hub regularly, which is absolutely incredible, so thank you. So we're going to be talking about this commitment to Hub tonight, and we're going to be talking about why it's really important. And we're going to be talking through a scripture that is about meeting together. Now, it's really interesting because when we decided in March that we were going to stop meeting in person, because we felt as a leadership that it was the most loving thing to do, we actually got a bit of criticism. And this scripture that I'm going to use tonight was used against us saying, you know, you should be meeting together. That's God's will for the church. You should do anything you can, all move heaven and earth, but you need to gather together. And to do anything else is, is not to obey God. And we found this really hard, but I think that what we have done is obey that word. We have sought every means to gather together, and the hubs is how we've done it. And we've done prayer meetings online, we've done so many activities online, but we have sought throughout the whole pandemic to keep meeting and gathering and connecting ourselves together. 
And I just think, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been an incredible journey. We will remember it, I think, for the rest of our lives. But let's go back and let's have a look at this particular verse. This verse is in the book of Hebrews. It was written in the first century by an unknown author. And the, the, the title suggests who it's for. So it's for, it's for Jewish converts. They were, they were Hebrew people who'd converted to Christianity. And you would think in the first century AD that they wouldn't need persuading to gather together because, let's face it, this is the apostolic age. We've just had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've had signs and miracles all over the place in the book of Acts. So why, in the middle of the first century, we've got a bunch of people who are really struggling to stay together and meet together? Well, I think partly it's because there was persecution. Christians were being persecuted in that time. Also, the church was in formation, and it, it wasn't really that obvious what they were part of. You know, we have lots of liturgy and, and practices and traditions now, but none of that was true for these brand new Christians. And also, they had come from a tradition that was very established, that was being practiced all around them, which was Judaism. And they were thinking, gosh, this is costly for us to leave something that is so strong and established to go into something new, which is so unknown, and it could cost us our lives even. So this is what, um, this is what the writer says. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I love this text. I love the whole of the book of Hebrews because I love how passionate the writer is and how he always addresses his listeners in this sort of first-person plural. He talks about us. He talks about we. It's always us and we. He says, don't think anymore about yourself as an isolated entity, but start to consider yourself as part of this bigger picture, part of this community. Think collaboratively. Think collectively. Think now that you're not an individual, but you are part of something bigger than you are. I don't know if you think like me, but I actually don't enjoy just thinking about myself. I think self-centeredness and a self-centered life is overrated. I'd much rather think about the lives of others. Me, a 50-year-old woman, I'm much more interested in the love lives of all these young men and women in their 20s in Metro. It's far more interesting than my life. <laughs> I am a bit of a busybody, but I just think it is overrated. So when the writer talks about we and us, I'm thinking, yes, he's onto something here, because we need to think bigger than, than ourselves if we're to truly live lives that reflect the love of God. So he says, first of all, let us, let us consider, let us think about, let us just really mull over carefully. And he's saying, think about not just your needs, but think about our needs. Think about the whole needs of the community around you and think about what you can do to serve and to bless the other people around you. And that's how we should all think. That is a posture of our thinking. When we consider hubs and when we consider community, we need to be looking outwardly. It's not about what I'm going to get, but it's about me considering others. And so he says, consider how we together can, and this is the great word, and I want everyone to say this together, please. So let us consider how we may spur one another on. Everybody say that, spur one another on. In the room, please, as well, guys. Spur 
spur one another on. Great, thank you very much. Now, I used to have a set of spurs. You're all looking a bit worried because you're thinking, why is Kate having a set of spurs? I was a horsewoman in my childhood. So in my teens, I had a little horse. He was the fattest, laziest, greediest, brute of a beast you'd ever meet. Totally not like his owner. And I couldn't get this animal to move. I had very skinny legs, and I was just a very caring, loving soul. And I didn't like to hit him very hard because I would feel his pain. So he would totally take advantage of me, and he just he would he wouldn't move. I'd be in the middle of nowhere needing to get home, and this animal would not move. So my mum bought me a pair of spurs, and you strap them to your jobper boots and they're basically just they're not sharp they're just a piece of metal that kind of goes on the end but when you sink them in poor animal to the sides of your creature it does hurt and it makes them move and I would get little Charlie moving once I put these spurs in his side now spurs is the right translation of this Greek word because it's not a nice word it's not a comfortable word it is a sort of probing poking digging inciting provoking it's kind of to get people moving. And I think the reason this word is used is because a lot of us can be like Charlie. We can kind of slip back, if we're not careful, into things like apathy and inactivity and like, do you know what? I can't be bothered to meet with other people. I can't be bothered to think about other people's lives. I'm just going to just look after myself and just hide away and be kind of apathetic, doom and gloom and, and out of the picture. And I think that is what the writer is aware of. There is this, this kind of pull, this influence of the world to pull you away from what you really should be doing. This kind of fleshy pull to kind of sit back and be lazy and, and, and not attend to the things that you need to be. And so he's saying that we need together to spur one another on, put a bit of spurs in each other's sides and drive us forward. And I know I've needed that in my Christian life. I've needed people to really push me on. I've not married Philip Gennardo for nothing. So we just, we need to be around each other. We need to help each other. We need to spur one another on. Because where we're going, and this is the trajectory, this is the most important thing. So the scripture says, we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Can everybody say that with me? Love and good deeds. This type of love that we are to spur one another into is agape love. The Greek translation is, is agape, and it's the highest form of love that you will find in the universe. It is the love that is the love of God that comes and is poured out on humanity. It's the most selfless kind. It's the most self-giving kind of love. It is the love that Jesus demonstrates on the cross. There is absolutely nothing in this love for him. It's all about giving, and it's all about giving at great cost, which is why it's harnessed to this word and good deeds. Those good deeds, the real translation is virtuous toil. It's like it's not an easy work. It's not like chucking a pound at a homeless person. Sorry, not at him. <laughs> Sounds a bit mean, but, you know, in his pot. But it's, it's a costly love. It will take you a lot more. It's labor. You have to do more with this kind of love. And so we are to spur each other on towards this kind of love and good deeds. Now, it all sounds great, doesn't it? You're thinking, oh, yeah, Kate, that sounds really lovely, until somebody makes you do something costly that you didn't want to do. 
Have you ever experienced somebody who's kind of pushed you to do something in terms of love that has cost you, that's been self-sacrificial, but you actually haven't really wanted to do it? And I think that's what this message is all about, spurring people. Right, well, I have got a nice illustration for you because about 30 years ago, when I was 22, young, free and single, um, I went on a holiday to Crete with one of my really, really good friends, Dawn, and I've asked Dawn to listen tonight just to check the accuracy of the story because you might think it's a little bit like exaggerated it's not um, but Dawn and I we went on this holiday to Crete we just felt like a bit of sun so we booked an apartment took 200 pounds each which you could in those days it would pay for everything but when we landed in Crete um, Dawn dropped a bombshell on me she said oh I've got this brother he's not doing too well so I've invited him to join us and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, so we'll, we'll just try and renegotiate what's going on here. But anyway, it, it, it kind of, it got worse. Are you ready? So I said to her, well, where is he? She said, well, he, he has arrived and he's hired a motorbike and he's driving around the island. He is looking for us right now, so can you look out for him? So I said to her, Dawn, what does he look like? And Dawn said, he looks exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I thought, yeah, right. Now, you're thinking Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's a six-year-old man with a big belly and grey hair. In the 80s and 90s, which is when the time scale is, uh, he was like the biggest hunk on the planet. He just won Mr. Universe. He was, take, he, he was in those Terminator trilogies. Tril uh, no, it's not trilogies. He was in those Terminator films. Who's seen Terminator? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Everyone's seen Terminator. Great, so you know what I'm talking about. So... She said that her brother looked like this demigod, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that he was now going to be spending a holiday a week in Crete with me and him. Anyway, I thought, I bet he's some sort of puny, tiny, four-foot midget, um, not really Arnold Schwarzenegger. Anyway, so we were walking along, and suddenly there was a revving behind us and a loud shout. And I turned round, and this, this huge man pulled up next to me on this bike with helmet, leathers, you know, big bike. And he stepped off the bike, and he looked at Dawn and I, and he said, come with me if you want to live. Do you like my impersonation? I'm trying to impersonate an Austrian supermodel actor turned politician. But, you know, he looked exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I was like, what's Arnold Schwarzenegger doing here? And Dawn said, no, no, that is my brother Brian. And then she turned to Brian and she said, Brian, where's all your stuff? And Brian didn't have a suitcase. He just seemed to appear with what he had on. And he turned to Dawn and he said, I've got my clothes, my boots, and my motorcycle. And that was it. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any clothes. He had nothing. He had just arrived in Crete as he was. So Dawn said, OK, well, don't worry. We'll let you live in our apartment. You can share our bedroom with us. And then she said, and, and we'll share. Well, she said to me, Kate, would you mind sharing the bill for all of his meals? And I'm like, no. I didn't want this. I didn't buy into this. But I just said, yes, yes, all right. I will pay for his meal. So we were taking him out every day, breakfast, noon, and night, feeding him. And he ate, he ate like a bodybuilder. He had a huge appetite. And all my money was just pouring down his mouth. And I was thinking, I'm not going to have any left. And then at nighttime, he literally was sleeping at the end of dawn in my bed. And I was thinking, I've got this 21st century cyber machine who's sleeping at the bottom of my bed. This is, you know, Terminator. 
I'm sure his, his eyes were infrared at night time, piercing into the darkness. Anyway, on the day, on about the third day, I was really not coping, and I was actually getting quite angry, and I wasn't feeling very sacrificial and loving. And, but there was a moment of just, you know, there was a real moment of, of exasperation that happened for me, because we went to the swimming pool, and I was putting all this suntan lotion on myself, covering myself up because I burned, and he was laughing at me, saying, oh, you're a bit of a wuss, just burn, get it over and done with. And I was going, no, no, I, I'm always really careful to cover my skin. Anyway, I'd finished, it took me about 20 minutes, and then he looked at me, he laughed, and he picked me up, and he chucked me viciously into the pool. All my suntan lotion washed off me, and I just stood in the pool, and I screamed. I screamed. I've got a very loud voice, and I was so angry, I just went, ah! And there was a big to-do because everybody in the swimming pool thought that I was being attacked or I was drowning. They weren't quite sure what was going on, so everybody gathered round. And Dawn had to come over and calm me down. And she said, Kate, are you all right? And I said, no, I am not coping with your brother. I said, I, this situation is not working. And so Dawn, she took me to the side of the pool and she just stroked me a bit. And she said the most, most devastating words I've ever heard in all my life. She said to me, you know, Kate, it's only when the sponge is really squeezed that you see what's really inside. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks very much. Thank you, Dawn. I'm hating hearing this news. But it was true. I was being really selfish because the holiday I wanted was a, a pampering Kate holiday. And suddenly Dawn had turned into, into a let's look after Brian because he's having a really hard time. So I just went away, dealt with myself, prayed, did a bit of time with God and came back. And I said, OK, I've dealt with it. I'm sorry I'm being so selfish. I'm sorry that I'm being such a prima donna. Let's just start again. And we actually went on to have a fantastic holiday. Really good time with Brian. Um, so thank you, Dawn, for that experience, because it really prodded and provoked me to become a little bit more generous and a bit more loving than I was prepared to be. And I think that's all we need in life. We do need others around us to be faithful and say those difficult words. Say to us, you're being really selfish right now. I just need a little bit more out of you. And that's why we need to be in community. That's why we need to keep meeting together. And that is why it's important that we commit into these hub groups, commit to a group of Christians who are able to speak those words. Do you know, we are better with others. We are better when other people can speak into our lives. We are better when other people provoke us on. We are better when people steer us towards love and good works. We are so much better because actually we're supposed to be on a journey of perfection. We're supposed to be looking like Jesus when we get out of here. Did you know that? We're supposed to all be transformed into his likeness, into his glorious likeness. And it won't happen unless people are faithful and commit to us and show us where we're flawed, show us where we're being selfish. So this is the person, this, this author is saying, continue to meet one another. Um, you mustn't stop, as some are in the habit of doing. When you fall away, you're opting out of that whole process. You're giving up. You're ceasing in your commitment, not only to yourself, but your commitment to others, but a commitment to the whole church. And let's talk about this word commitment. Because I think some people don't really understand that commitment and love are totally inseparable you actually cannot love outside of a commitment. Some people think you can. I hear 
In my school where I work at Orchard, a lot of nonsense around commitment. I hear kids saying that their dads love them, but they don't ever see them. In fact, they live in Australia. They've just disappeared off. They said they love them, but they just can't live with their mum or can't live with a child. And I'm thinking that is not what commitment looks like. I've even heard people say in Metro, you know, I really love the people in Metro, but I feel I can love them better if I wasn't in Metro, if I wasn't committed to Metro. And then you never see them again. And you think, is that love? Is that love just absenting yourself from my love, my life? Love is not about being absent. Love is about being really present. Love is demonstrated by Jesus. Jesus didn't die on the cross and say, hey, I'll see you at the end of eternity. He said, I am with you to the very end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am your ever-present help in time of trouble. Jesus is rock solid, committed to us. He doesn't leave us. He's always present. Even now, in this situation we're feeling, we might think, oh, has he removed himself from us? No, Jesus is with us every day till the end of the age. His commitment to us is solid. And even at the beginning of this, this scripture that we were looking at tonight, it talks about the God who promises, who's totally faithful. God is completely faithful. And he demands that we be like him, that we also be totally faithful. And we commit ourselves. And what better, what better opportunity than commit yourself to hub? So now we understand about commitment and that it, it actually is the framework and it's the context of love. We might understand hubs a little bit more because I sometimes wonder whether people don't really understand what is the purpose of hub. What is it for? Is it like a, a support group? Is it like um, another kind of a therapy session? I've had lots of people say lots of things about what they think the hub is for. A hub is a place to commit. And a hub is a place to perfect. And there are two reasons why hubs fail. Hubs fail because the people in them don't commit to them. They don't go regularly. They just opt in and out. Hubs can fail if you get people who say, I'm just going to find out who's going to hub tonight before I commit to going. Because I'm not sure if I like those other people, but I'll be, I'll be in it if the people I like are in it. You don't get to choose. Commitment means you love whatever. You love whoever's there. And the second reason that hubs don't thrive is because people in it are not committed to what the purpose of hub is for, which is to grow in love. They actually, they refuse to be transformed. They might hear what is necessary for them to grow, and they might be prodded by others and saying, actually, to, to grow in character, to, to grow in your spiritual development, you really need to do this. But they refuse. They actually say, I won't. I won't do what is required of me to grow and to develop in love. I will not be transformed. And it can make Hub a really difficult place because actually the purpose of Hub, it's a mini church. It's Jesus's body. It's to conform to his likeness. We're supposed to bring one another in to the life of Christ. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is abundant. He's pouring his life into us. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be filled with the life of Jesus and the life of the Spirit. And it's a transformational power. It's something that we would all encounter as we come together to experience and to express love in Christ and love in God. 
So hubs, they don't succeed if people don't commit and if they don't commit to that journey of being of, of, of loving and growing in love and perfecting in love. It's as simple as that. So it's a quite a hard message tonight. But what I want to encourage you to do, everybody, is to walk that journey of commitment, commitment into a hub. And I'm going to give you some keys right now as to how you can commit more. But first of all, I just want to explain where the whole kind of purpose of Hub fits into our general mission in Metro. So we have a mission statement, and that statement is this. It says, find, love, follow, and serve. Find, love, follow, and serve. We exist in Metro to help people find Jesus, to love one another, then to follow Jesus and serve the city. We want people to find Jesus through our services, through our ministry, and particularly through our Alpha courses. And when you fall in love with him, we want you to come into one of our hubs and grow to be more like him, to grow in love, to perfect in love. And hubs are really the key place where that happens. And then if you want to get more committed, if you want to go that much further into the nitty-gritty of Christian discipleship, then we invite you to go on our mentoring program and find a mentor. And that's a really great, great opportunity to, to grow and establish your faith and really challenge yourself to go way further than you ever thought you could. And then finally, our mission is service. We are here to serve the world. We are here to serve our community. And we are here to serve our family. We just do that in every way we can. But this is our mission in Metro. It's, it's a big mission. It's a big ambition. But we are ultimately looking to serve the world and to bring people into the knowledge of Jesus and to help them to find this community of love, grow in love, and grow to be more like Jesus. So these are the keys for tonight. So I've got three things. There are three commitments that I'd like you to make and to consider. The first commitment is, if you are someone who is not connected, you're unconnected to any hub right now, then I would like you to make a commitment to find a hub. You can do this in three ways. So the three keys to enabling you to make that commitment is you can fill in one of our welcome cards and sign that box saying, I'd like to be put in a hub. You can actually direct message me on Facebook. If you, if you message on the Facebook page, I will answer you and I will find you a hub. So you can do that. Or the third thing is you can actually go onto our website and find a hub and just go straight to the hub leaders. You'll be, you can connect to the hub on that Facebook page, uh, sorry, on that website. Go to our website, look for the hubs and connect directly to a hub leader through our website. So, and the second commitment is if you are an irregular member, so you're in a hub, but your attendance is pretty sporadic, then I would like you to do this. The key for you is to commit. Put the hub in your diary every week and don't let anything else distract you from that. Make sure that you tell one of the hub leaders that you're coming and maybe ask them if they would like you to do anything. Then you have to be there, don't you? So make your commitment much stronger. Commit to going every week. So that was what I'd like you to do. The second one and the third commitment is for those people who are regular hub attenders and you're like, you've got the gold star, you go every week and you're mega committed. The key for you is why don't you promote your hub? 
Why don't you find those who are outside of a community? And why don't you be that person who spurs them on into a loving community that gathers people into meeting together so that they can grow in love and good deeds? You be that person to promote. So here's my big idea. And I'm just going to lift it straight from the scripture that we've already looked at because it's just it's the best way to put it. So the big idea is this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. One more time. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. So let us just pray. Oh God, Holy Father, Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you that you made the church. And Lord, it is the very body of Christ. And it is inspired and sustained by your Holy Spirit. And it is precious and holy to you. And Father, I pray for us that we would gather together and we would see our identity as this community of believers within the body of Christ. That, Lord, but we would be in that community and love one another reverently. Lord, that we would be turned towards agape love and good deeds. And, Lord, together live for the service of the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.